Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart Food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. If you're thinking... I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Hello and welcome to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast, brought to you by the team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favourite experts. Hello, I'm Arit Anderson. Welcome back to Growing Greener, the podcast that digs deep into key environmental topics to ask what small steps we can take in our gardens to help make big changes to secure a sustainable future for all of us. In this episode, we're going to talk about lawns. In years gone by, the symbol of the quintessential garden ideal, now an environmentally contentious subject. Google lawns and you'll get thousands of tips, warnings, advice and stories from all around the globe. Turf, seed, mowing, wildflower meadow, carbon footprints, raking, scarifying, rye, chamomile, artificial turf. And as my research team has discovered, there are a lot of rabbit holes to fall down in the internet when discussing this subject. For me, a key question is, can there be such a thing as a sustainable lawn? Or is a green sward actually the least green element you can have in a garden? Joining me today is a person I hope can shed some light on this mossy area, David Hedges Gower. Hi, David. It is really good to have you on Growing Greener. Welcome. Glad to be here. Now, obviously, we are here today talking about lawns, but I want to know what drew you to lawns? I started off leaving school at the tender age of 15. Didn't know what to do. Wanted to play golf professionally. Was very, very good. Was going down that road and ended up getting injured, but still fell in love with golf. So I went into looking after a golf course at the age of 19. 
I really couldn't do it, but I did what Richard Branson tells people to do and say yes and learn about it later, which I did. I wanted then to be the best golf course superintendent in the world. Not sure I quite got there, but pretty close, I would guess, and ended up running a very, very big golf club. But I, I did get to 40 nearly 20 years ago now, but I got bored. I needed a different challenge. And then I decided to come into the lawn world and um, see whether there's something that could intrigue me. And, it, and obviously it did in terms of trying to educate a, a complete sort of, um, my belief was it was a misconception about lawns, you know, mm. how bad they were for our environment and uh, goodness knows what else. So it's become a real passion now that that people, I want to educate people in learning how to do it because we don't really know, ah. if I'm honest. Well, that's that's really uh, a good place, to, I guess, to start because, you know, the lawn, as you say, has had some scrutiny as we've become more sustainable. I used to have a lawn. I don't have a lawn anymore. I remember arriving in my house with brand new little neighbours next door going to me. You do know there's a green grass a competition I was like, I had never touched any garden. And I went, oh, okay. Yeah. Of course, they chucked the gauntlet down and I made sure that I won that season having never touched a lawn. But that said, yeah, there is a lot of uh, controversy over lawns yeah. at the moment. So it'd be really good to, to get into that. Now, let's kind of start with, are we talking lawns or grass? Are they one of the same things? What is it? I wrote a book in 2014 and I, I think I went to the Gardeners Guild um, event and James Wong said to me, he said, oh, you're the the lawn chap. He said, I don't don't like lawns, but I love grass. And I sort of looked at him a little bit bewildered and kind of went, well, when I left my lawn at home, it was made of grass, so I don't really understand. So, so yeah, I, I suppose when you look at the, the history of lawns, which we do, we go, oh, yeah, they were the first ones happened around castles and things like that to stop um, or be able to shoot people attacking you, all this kind of thing. But what we actually learned is the older the lawn, the better it is, the easier it is to look after. I, d I don't look at a lawn as being a lawn. I look at grass as being anything you want to call it. We call a field a field. Technically, it's a lawn. It's the same thing. We we may not mow it the same, but we probably have sheep or cattle looking after it. We've got verges. We've got parks. None of them are called lawns technically, but they all are. So it, I I kind of don't really worry myself. I look at the personally. I think it's about the environmental benefits that grass does. It's a super plant. It's not thought of as a super plant. Mm. But I think it should be. So grass, grass is grass. Whatever you want to call it, I think is up to anybody. But technically, it's a managed piece of grass covering most of our country. Yeah. And I think in in a way, when you sort of talking just then, actually, I think there is an interesting point about whether we're thinking of things as grass or a lawn. And I say that because... I think the gardening heritage of the British Empire, if it were, was all about the lawn and the verdant green lawn and the wealth and the sort of mannerism that it brought to gardening. Yeah. So there's maybe a connotation around lawn as opposed to what you're saying, which is about, well, actually, we're talking about a space that is made up with grasses. Yes. A lot of the elder generation called it a lawn because that's what they remember. Um, but essentially, it's another environment, but it's an environment we don't really understand. I don't believe. I don't believe we do. We're not a countryside of beautiful lawns everywhere. 
No, I mean, then they're not, but they, they seem to be very important to people. So let's go into that a little bit in more detail. We use the term lawn today, but the lawn can be just termed as a monoculture, a void space from a design perspective within yep. a garden. It makes your borders look great if it's yep. clipped in with an inch of its life. And most people, and I, I, I don't mean to sort of spray that comment, but think of a lawn as being very green is healthy. If it's anything else other than just green and, yeah. and like looking very mono and, and cut, that's it. Yes. Tell us about what makes up a healthy, good lawn and, and what your definition of it is. Do you know, the interesting thing that, that I think I mentioned earlier is that we we wander around the country, you know, at various times and we don't understand what grass is. I remember talking to a, a client last year who was in America at the time and remember their comment was, I just want green grass. And I said, are you in the UK at the moment? Because everything's brown and white and dead looking. And I said, but... It'll all come back as it does every year, as it done for hundreds of thousands of years, probably. I'm not that old. So understanding a plant as to being healthy from my perspective, from a, a consultant's perspective, is one that can withstand difficult climate change, which we're, we're obviously getting, uh, and bounce back. And the native grasses that we've got in this country all over the place, every mountainside, you name it, anywhere at all is made up of native grasses that can go to sleep during a hot spell and come back. Now, the healthier the lawn, the quicker and better it will come back. And at the moment, we don't see swathes of the UK sort of crying out going, please seed me because I'm really thin and horrible. You know, the grasses grow in a, in a way that creep, tiller, thicken up all on their own and they consist of generally healthy soils at the same time which is again a historical thing where the soils have improved themselves with all the wonderfulness that goes on in there so so yeah the perfect sort of lawn idea is a botanical one that can look after itself from my perspective if we want to paint it with some stripes for a few few months then great um but I think that's about where it should stop. You do. <laughs> yeah, that's about it there. So with the grasses that are found around the UK, like you say, thinking of the sort of mountain tops and yeah. you know, actually in the countryside, when somebody is buying a roll of lawn to turf their new garden or they want yeah. to turf a new area, what are the grass species? Are those the grasses that we would find around the UK? One of them will be and one of them won't. One of them will be, I suppose, what we call a football pitch grass, and one will be a native grass, the fescue. So when you used to buy turf in about the 1980s, 90, early 90s, it used to fall apart. You'd pick it off a lorry and you'd think, oh, crikey, this is not good. And the Turf Growers Association, back in the sort of 80s and 90s, put together a new composition. So they'd got this bread ryegrass plant, which is very verdant, green and lovely and lush and everything we apparently wanted. And they blended it with the fescue to bind the turf together, stop it falling apart, which it doesn't anymore. It's like a carpet now, as you know. But the two contradict each other. One's a drought-tolerant grass, one likes tons of water. So in your own lawn environment, if you're trying to have a lawn that's fairly dry or, or you're on an area that's very dry, your ryegrass will disappear completely and your fescue will crowd it out and vice versa. If it's very wet, your ryegrass will stay there and stay very thin because it's a single plant. It's just one plant always. And your fescue then will die off 
So they contradict each other. Is it favourable for the turf companies? Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't like to say, but it's not my perfect choice by a long, long way. You know, we, we need drought-tolerant grasses. Uh, we don't need ones that require lots of water, in my opinion. So it's, yeah, without being too harsh, it's not the greatest combination, but it's affordable. And that's why it was designed, because you know, we've been used to having that affordability, that convenience. There's a lot could be done about it, but it, there's a lot of difficulties about growing native species, you know, when you look at it over a big scale. Your skin refuses to be defined by age. That's why agency designed Future Formula, a personalized anti-aging formula prescribed by a dermatology provider to treat fine lines, wrinkles, dark spots, and more. Agency has clinically proven ingredients like tretinoin, which is up to 20 times stronger than over-the-counter retinol. Future Formula by Agency. Get your first month free at withagency.com. That's W-I-T-H-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. $4.95 shipping and handling subject to consultation. Subscription required. Cancel anytime. Right. So if I were going to re-turf my garden again yeah. and um, I've come to you for that expert advice, what would you say to me that I'd need to make sure I've really got in that in that turf that I'm buying or that seed mix? So, sadly, do you know the weird thing is is that generally in a seed mix, if you're buying it in a seed mix or a turf mix, it's generally called luxury lawn or fine turf. And it's a weird one because you think, well, they're just natural grasses. That's what they are. But, of course, that doesn't sound good on a box or in a, on a website, does it? But they're the two native species you want. Now, you can mow them down to use on a golf course. That's why they, you know, they were used many, many years ago in the first golf courses in Britain. But they're just natural grasses that have grown here for hundreds of thousands of years, if not longer. And they grow without really doing anything so i'll give you an example so the rye grass is one plant one seed one plant fescue will turn from one seed into maybe 50 leaves and then bent grass which is covers a lot of our country one tiny seed the size of a grain of salt will turn into hundreds of plants and that's the one that works for you really well the fact the two of these work together really well so but they're they're called the wrong thing i i think they should be called natural law mixes but no one well i don't sell one or anything so <laughs> I, I tried to talk to people and say well maybe maybe people would understand a bit more if you actually sold something that is more to the truth than some dynamic thing that we think we need that's really important then so that when people are looking for lawns um, either seed or turf yeah what they can ask the supplier yeah. is, are these native UK grasses within that mix? Because then that way that it helps people to, which is what we're going to go on to, is then the care of it, which is where I think this, the sustainable issues are kind of coming up. Yeah. So, the, so the first instance is yeah. make sure you've got the right type of lawn, which is grasses that are native UK, yeah? Yes. I mean, you, the, the problem is that it's, it's across the board. So everyone will have one of them in there. Every turf company in the country will have fescue in there, but it's how you maintain it. And this is what something that I'm sort of working with places like the London College of Garden Design and others, trying to sort of ascertain how you construct a lawn is actually quite important because how you maintain it is one way that can affect the way the grass species are going to change. As I say, if you build uh, patios, for example, you stop water from moving sideways, so it's then got to move down. 
through the profile. If you haven't got very good soil, it sits wet. And as I say, then you'll get a whole grass species, 50, 60% of your grass species in your lovely turf, probably die within the first year. But if you design it correctly with an understanding of requirements to this is how it's going to be in the future. We've got a different growing medium. We might have got more sand in there or mixed sand in there to make sure that the water gets away from the patio. We may have put a drain in of some description. But how how we maintain it is equally as important. But the biggest problem, as I say at the moment, is that turf companies generally sell one standard turf and it's got one of the species in. And the, there's not many – well, there's one company in the country that sell the two together. But it's it's more expensive because they maintain it for golf courses at the moment, which is a bit of a shame. If they well, maintained it for a lawn, um, it would still be a little bit more expensive than the ryegrassy type stuff. Yeah. I mean, the, well, the, the expense is an interesting one. It's one that I've kind of pick up on other podcasts that I've done because there's the cash cost. Yeah. And then there's the environmental cost. Yes. I'm guessing, and you correct me if I'm wrong, so environmentally, we may have um, paid for a cheaper cash lawn, yeah. but environmentally, we're going to need to water it more because we've got this these duality of, of grasses. Yeah. We'll be feeding it because one's dying and we think we've got an, an issue. And obviously, there's the runoff and issue of fertilising yeah. as well. Yeah. So let's imagine, therefore, um, David, that we've got the right lawn in front of us. Okay? Yeah. We've managed to get... The, the right grasses yep. in our space. So one of the big issues at the moment, and you mentioned earlier about the droughts that we, um, you know, the brown grass uh, that we had in our verdant uh, little country last year. If I've got the right grass, what do I need to be doing to look after it? Do you know, one of the things I normally do, it's a funny thing, but when I do my lectures and things like that, I normally sort of just throw a curveball out. And the first question, I said, somebody tell me the difference between grass and a plant. And you see people. <laughs> Is that a trick question? <laughs> and they're going, well, I don't know. What, what do you mean? And I said, well, well sorry, don't worry. It's a trick question. It's, it is a plant. So when you think of growing a plant, we all know how to grow a plant for some reason, but we don't know how to grow a lawn, which is a plant. And when you go to a garden centre, you go, well, I'm going to plant something in a pot maybe. So I'll, I'll get some wonderful compost. And if it eventually sort of gets too small for that, I'll put it into a bigger pot with some fresher compost. And you do lots of things to make the soil work because that's quite easy. That's quite understandable. Soil botany is the key to plant health. So we do everything in that sort of aspect of, of plant care. But in a lawn, we go... Where do we start? If it's not green, I want it greener. So we go, well, there's a box or something that tells me that that's going to go really green. And you think, mm, okay, it, it, it won't if the plant's not grown in the right environment. So so essentially what we don't do enough of is, is work soils, make soils work. It's the key to any successful lawn. We have it all over the countryside. My daughter and I walked in the upper mountain in the Lake District last summer and I had to stop and do a quick video looking at this table-sized piece of grass, beautiful bent grass turf, growing, it would look like a carpet, the middle of a mountain, the only thing that were looking after it was sheep. And you went, that's soil, that's soil botany just there. It's been there a long time. Nobody's putting pesticides down. Nobody's putting fertilizer down, except obviously Sammy the sheep, of course. But, <laughs> but that was soil botany working really, really well with no human intervention at all. But we need to learn from that because you go, oh, yeah. So if you get soils right 
and the right grasses. You don't even need to do that much, do you? And you don't. It's when you start to use these other grass species, which are not as sustainable, certainly, they don't work for you. You tend to work for it. Um, and that's where a lot of these lawn obsessives come in because they, they have to be. They're all busily waiting at the moment, you know, waiting for that sort of season to start so they can start overseeding again, which again has another carbon footprint, doesn't it? You yeah. know, it's more seed, which has got to be harvested, it's got more water, more fertilizer, and so on and so on and so on every single year. It's not, it's not great. Domestic lawns that have got the right grass species and good soil botany don't really need to do too much. I've got some lawns. I don't do much to mine at all. I just mow them yeah. with a battery mower as well. But I don't, I don't really need to because the soil botany does everything I need to do. I don't try and remove weeds, but I let the grass crowd it out. Because this is the thing, isn't it? I think with gardening and the lawn is one of those tasks in the garden, which is the slave, as it were, you know, the well, one that we're, yeah. that we're slave to. It's perceived to it's be. It's perceived to be. Yeah. But also it's the, the part of garden. I think it's the, the lawn can be the expression of gardening, which is the control. Yeah? Yes, It's absolutely. the control part of gardening yeah. um, that we we maybe intervene with some plants but it's that kind of final control that, that sits around the lawn yeah which is maybe why like you say there's there can be an obsession about it but what's important today is that we understand i think you know from yourself in terms of this this bigger conversation around mm. you know sustainable gardening yeah. and making sure that the lawn has its place because as i'm sure you're aware there's lots of um, conversation around replacing lawns with uh, yes. wildflowers um, yeah. or, or other plant species so in terms of the lawn and you mentioned there about you know the weeds being crowded out this whole take on weeds within a lawn yes i'm really interested to hear your view on that one of the things I was talking about a little bit earlier was the perception of golf courses. Obviously, I came from a golf course, and um, the perception of those is that they're very sort of barren. They're, you know, pesticide sprayed every day. If a weed's seen, you know, there's somebody comes out and exterminates it straight away. But the truth is they're actually really environmentally friendly golf courses. Most of them are unbelievably green and environmentally friendly. And they use the grass species, the native ones, that crowd out weeds. You know, I, I look after some of the most amazing lawns in the country. Not, not me, I, some of the gardeners that I consult for. And they're looked after sustainably, never had a herbicide near it. Because the grass is doing it. That's, it's what we call integrated pest management, but we, we use the pest of being the weed in this case. But we use the first form of weed control being the grass species. So when you get the grass species creeping this way, like a golf green, mm -hmm. uh, it might be cut at two millimetres, three millimetres, but if it's cut at two millimetres, that's fine, isn't it? If we're sustainably looking after it, it's fine. If there's no pesticides and herbicides going on it, the height of cut is irrelevant. But it's the way the grass species are growing that stops the weeds from coming in. My view is that retail should stop selling weed killers today. I've said this for a long time, but obviously there's some companies out there that still sell these things. Um, I don't believe they should be. They're not even applied well. I couldn't apply them correctly myself. And I kind of think, you know, if you've got two weeds on a lawn and you're shaking one of these things around putting herbicide everywhere for two weeds, I mean, there's something wrong. 
There really is. So so I, I, I would ban it tomorrow. I personally would ban herbicides full stop across professional lawn care as well because you can still have a beautiful looking lawn. A weed is a plant you know, why Why are we removing them? I, I really don't believe it. I know there'll be some lawn people out there crying now going, <laughs> don't say things like that. But but I've striped up some of my lawns for, for YouTubes and things like that, and they look amazing, but they've never had herbicide or anything near them. Your stripe, you can have a stripe with weeds in it. It's not a problem. And I, So I think, they're, I think they're wonderful. I mean, I'm, I, I love plants, whatever the, uh, wherever they are in the garden, and I don't believe we should be killing anything like that, yeah. pests included. You know. Well, I think it's really interesting, this whole sort of take, if you like, of thinking as the lawn, yeah. as individual grass species, really kind yeah. of coming down to that level, yeah. if you like, yeah, yeah. and thinking, you know, thinking like, as you said earlier, well, what would you do with a plant? And would you be cutting it every two weeks or every week in the height of summer or whenever it is. So, yeah, it makes you kind of think in a different way. Well, the thing is with, with lawns, they're more of a, more like a crop. We obviously have grass species, you know, that provide all our food. And, and grass is very much like that. Although there's – you'll never find a single monoculture. You'll find a variety of about five, six plants – but within our environment of where we look after them in a in a lawn, mowing is another pruning technique. So that's why we mow regularly because when it can't grow that way, it grows that way. So it gives us density. So it's a pruning technique. We we look at it as a chore, but it's one of the most beneficial things. And and strangely enough, going on to how can you replicate that? I haven't got the time. I mean, well, you can if you use robot mowers and things like that. So we've got everything. Lawn care's got sustainability falling over itself. But what happens then if you kind of want to be out there, you know, if you with want your to, roller then... and your and your and you get your back into it, David? What does that what, do? What a roller for me? mower or yeah, one of the yeah, old? Because yeah. when you talk about garden rollers, you know they used to <laughs> people used to roll their lawns, and you think I have no idea why, but they you know they're lovely features now. Yeah. But I mean, I, if you want to do that, that's great. But obviously, a lot of people don't mow their lawns, for example, because they think, well, I don't want to do it. It's too much work. It's too much effort. It's that control again. I haven't got that time to do it every single week, or sometimes twice a week. But you can with a robot. And the benefit of pruning a grass on a regular basis is that it gets thicker and thicker, and of course, they're more sustainably able to cope with less water, deeper root systems and less weed necessity in there as well. So it, it does it's it's clever. It's clever. We like I say, sustainable lawn care is the easiest way to look after lawn. Right plant, right grow medium, and then right pruning technique. Couldn't be simpler. Well that's that's made it sound very simple, but it is. I'm worrying if you're gonna blow the Nomo May out of the window because obviously the Nomo May was introduced, yeah. as you know, yeah. to, to encourage people to to let the sward get longer so yeah. that more opportunity for wild flower species to come in and, yes. and obviously the, the prolonging of a nectar uh, source Absolutely. really for, for, for our, our native insects. I'm all for biodiversity increasing the garden. And I think, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a big enough garden, you can probably have a, a variety of different areas. Now, not everybody has that. When you look at new builds, which are another problem entirely in lawns in terms of the wrong turf, very poor construction, uh, limited drainage and limited space, it becomes very difficult to do no mow may. Personally, I'd have 
you know, I, I've got wildflower meadows in my back garden. I don't cut them. And I often say, well, you know, what's no mow May about? Well, no, no mow until September. That's what I do. That's great. We've just done a little video trial actually this year, which would be coming up on YouTube. It's, it's sort of an interesting one because we're actually fighting against the grass. We've used no chemicals, but I use leaves to kill off the grass to try and gain a bit of competition for the wildflower. So, so yeah, I, th- I think no mow May is wonderful. I think if you've got the opportunity, you know, grab it with two hands. I don't believe it can work in every law. That's the problem. But but where you can, absolutely. If you can do even do a corner, you know, fantastic. But yeah. I think it will always have that little bit of divide because if someone's got a 40 square meter lawn that hasn't got much grass on it, it's not going to make it any better. So, so it's different problems. Well, I guess it comes back to you know what you're kind of very much getting us to think about is the why and starting off with a really good base and in terms of the the plant material that you've got. Yeah, I think I think again, we, you know, we go back to that generational thing where everyone's grandfather maintained an immaculate lawn. Apparently, I don't recollect seeing any personally, but you know, they obviously edged edged the lawn to death from what I can remember. You know, we should be changing. You know, we, we should be open to understanding what is required. You know, we, we look at bee populations, for example, and realise that we have got to intervene with different ideas. And like I say, the idea of the perfect lawn and that perception of this green, irrigated, stripy, weed-free carpet, if you like, I, th- I think, it you know, it comes at a big cost. And I think... As much as, you know, we can use battery-powered mowers and things like that, I think, you know, water consumption's got to be thought about. I think getting into a mindset that is different than what we've learnt and something that you want as well. You know, I do myself. I did the no-mo May. I did no-mo May, June and probably August, August September as well because obviously the grass didn't grow at all. Yeah. <laughs> so, so weeds were growing fantastically well. You know, the grass had burnt off and died off at that point, but it's all come back. All the weeds have come back. You know, they're still there rather. So yeah, I think I think we have got, as a society, we've got to sort of draw a line under that perfect lawn and, and start to get a different perfect lawn, one that's perfect for us and perfect for our environment. We, we're looking after this planet, not very well at times in certain ways, but in our gardens, we're our own worst enemy if we're not we can't blame anybody else, and we shouldn't. We need to take a bit of responsibility. You still have nice grass. It doesn't make it, you know. It doesn't make your grass worse. You can still have stripes if you want. That's just a pattern. But you know, you've got to take that responsibility yourself. I think somebody once said to me, "If there was one thing you could do to a lawn, what would it be?" And I went, "It would be aeration, 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 but the right type." So a garden fork is not. <laughs> We we have things that alter soil structure. The rainfall, droughts, they all alter soil structure in our lawns. In the, only in the top, you know, not four foot down. Or, so top few inches. But we we need to alter that soil structure to make the root system be able to survive and improve and and uh, so on. But a garden fork can't. It just it's, it wasn't designed by a lawn expert. It was just something designed for digging over flower beds and vegetable beds. But somebody went, well, that, I, aeration's just a hole in the ground, isn't it? So that, that'll be fine. It won't. You need to alter soil structures. So you need to remove plugs. It's called hollow tine aeration. Yeah. 
obviously removes these thousands of little plugs full of bacteria, full of wonderfulness, put them back into your lawn, pulverize them up with a scarifier, rake them off, whatever you want to do, rake them into piles, compost them, use them as seed beds, um, soil for seed beds. But what happens when you remove these plugs is your ground can shrink, collapse and breathe. New roots can can then get down all the little cracks and fissures. And it's the one thing, changing the soil structure in your lawn. Because you're adding oxygen, you're increasing microbes, you're, in, you're making the soil work with the one thing that everybody should do. But not nobody does. Not many people do, put it that way. Well, they will now. Well, I'd like to think so. But <laughs> I think they will now, which is which is great. It's been really fascinating. Uh, thank you so much for coming in and, and really getting our heads right down into that, that leaf level. It's been great. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Lovely to be here. Make sure to subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. New episodes will be released every Thursday. For more information on everything we've discussed today, go to gardenersworld.com 